0: Think on your feet for our fast and curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race, hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30 acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. Hazing, scandals, and tornadoes. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's weekly news recap. Welcome to the end of another busy week, Chicago. Weekend fun is just around the corner, but first, we have got to catch you up on all the major stories this week. A Northwestern coach fell from grace. After 17 seasons,
1: head coach and former Northwestern linebacker Pat Fitzgerald was fired Monday.
0: And he wasn't the only one. A very ugly week for Northwestern Athletics added another chapter on Thursday, but not a surprising one, as baseball coach Jim Foster was fired. Plus, Mayor Johnson will soon determine the future of CPD leadership. After a four-month process, the Community Commission for Public Safety and Accountability named as superintendent finalists two Chicago police veterans, Angel Navalez and Larry Snelling, and one CPD outsider, Sean Barnes. We'll get into all those stories and more, but I can't do it alone. So here to break down all the news is WTTW Channel 11's Chicago politics reporter Heather Sharon, Alden Lowry, data projects editor for WBEZ, and Block Club Chicago investigative editor and reporter Mick Dumkey All right, let's tackle the top story this week. The sports scandal at Northwestern University. News broke late last night that baseball coach Jim Foster was fired. This is just three days after football coach Pat Fitzgerald was fired. Heather and Mick, I know you're both Northwestern alumni. I mean, were you surprised to hear about another coach being fired?
1: Well, I think that when you have, you know, this sort of uh, apparently systemic allegations of wrongdoing, I think it becomes not a question of what did individual A or individual B do, but what sort of policies and procedures were either in place or not in place that allowed this sort of conduct to occur. And I think that is a much bigger question that we don't have the answer to and Mm -hmm. potentially is far more perilous for Northwestern University. And, you know, this is sort of the... I don't want to say logical outcome, but the, you know, sort of result of what happened in 1995 when Northwestern went to the Rose Bowl and sort of saw a path to become not just a well-known academic institution, but also to be a prominent player in sports, which brings in a ton of money in terms of television revenue and merchandise and the whole nine yards. And so Northwestern sort of changed its orientation. And the question is now, can you? you have a well-respected academic institution that has these sort of division one type sports programs? Are those two fundamentally opposed issues? And that, I think, is the question that a lot of uh, supporters of Northwestern Mm -hmm. and employers of Northwestern are are grappling with this week. Yeah, Mick, more than
0: 200 Northwestern faculty we know, they're they're calling for the findings of an investigation into hazing, right, um, on the the university's football team uh, to be made public, right? All the, the stuff going down with with coach Fitzgerald your thoughts
2: well they should have made the investigation public from the beginning Um, at this point in time I agree with Heather that uh, the way I would put it is this is about way more than sports at this point in time uh, there are allegations of racism involved there's an issue with transparency basic accountability the adults in charge of these athletic programs um, uh, Were you know fell down on the job, and at at best, what seems to have happened is they let uh, student athletes take control of certain situations, and at worst, uh, they were either the perpetrators of or or encourage or looked the other way while while toxic and abusive behavior was going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, The university president botched the job. They should have released this uh, investigation. Last week, when it was um, when they just made a, a tepid announcement on, during a Friday news dump at the end of a holiday week, and, and on and on and on. So, it's about so many other things the corruption in college sports, the very nature of the fact that universities, athletic programs make uh, tens of millions of dollars a year yeah. off of unpaid athletes. Uh, I'll get off my soapbox, but I'm, I'm really, uh, as an alum and as a longtime season ticket holder to Northwestern football, I'll disclose that to everybody as, as a fan. I'm just truly appalled and disgusted by this, this whole turn of events.
1: I think we would be remiss if we did not credit the student journalists at the Daily Northwestern Absolutely. with holding the administration feet to the fire. And I will disclose, I worked for the Daily for a hot second um, approximately six lifetimes ago. Um, and I think that it is particularly challenging to be part of an institution that you are reporting on and holding accountable. And I think that if anybody sort of wondered if there was still a reason to have sort of an active viable sports media this week where we saw the New York Times disband their sports mm-hmm. desk. I think this was a clear indication that this sort of reporting is needed across the board and kudos to those students. Yeah,
0: some of the student reporters received hate mail early mm-hmm. on for, for publishing the the whistleblower's account of this hazing. I mean, Alden, Mick brings up a, a good point, right? This is much more about, uh, about more than sports. Uh, the, there were allegations by uh, former players of uh, this culture enabling racism? I mean, what else can you fill us in on there? What was happening?
3: Uh, The the Daily Northwestern uh, had a report about uh, three former players, uh, one who was on the record, uh, two who wanted to remain anonymous, um, who are players of color and spoke about uh, the fact that very stereotypical uh, kind of language uh racist uh, language uh, in theme and also in, in in actual language uh being spoken to them uh, by players but also by coaches um, uh, one one black player talked about uh, having dreadlocks uh, and being told to to, to shave off them. the dread, yeah. the dreadlocks, but there were white players with long hair who were not asked to cut their hair but uh, they told him to do this uh, under this uh, doctrine of. Uh, The Wildcat way and that there was this wholesome, clean, all-American kind of look that they wanted the players to uh, to evoke. Um, And uh, but it seemed selective in terms of how it was was practiced. Uh, One of the Latino players uh, that was quoted um, mentioned uh, jokes about his family knowing how to clean houses, uh, things of that nature. One of the black players said they were told uh, by a a coach to act like a monkey. Uh, So just very ugly types of things. These are three players uh who uh spoke to the Daily Northwestern uh these are incidents that happened during the time they played in the late 2000s mm-hmm. the first few years of uh, coach Fitzgerald's tenure there um and so very troubling uh in the shadow of this 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 uh this uh hazing scandal for
0: well, sure so and and flipping back to to coach Jim Foster I interviewed the Tribune reporter who broke that story uh, Jonathan Bullington on Wednesday this was the day before Foster was was fired listen to a bit
2: of that they had found sufficient evidence that Coach Foster had um engaged in abusive and bullying behavior, as well as he had made a um inappropriate comment towards a female uh, member of the staff, I believe, um and then had been saying uh like speaking inappropriately about staff to other staff
0: yeah, and uh we've got a comment from YouTube here. Avram Lapp says, and there are more than just coaches to blame here, Mick. You agree?
2: Well, yeah. Where's the athletic director? Where's the university president? I mean, even the accounts of the way players uh, were notified about this uh, just are outrageous. Uh, the athletic director, Dr. Derek Craig, was reportedly on vacation. He's certainly allowed to be on vacation, but apparently joined the—when when the football team was notified that Fitz was going to be fired— Uh, He apparently joined by Zoom, didn't even have his face there. The university president was not present for the meeting. Uh, That's disrespectful to the athletes. You know, Um, it's disrespectful to everybody involved. I just again, at this point in time, to me, this is about accountability. And there has been none from the beginning, from the highest levels of, of the university leadership.
0: Anyone think we might see criminal charges here?
1: So it's hard to know because we have not seen that report, right? right. And, um, you know, somebody said, well, you know, nobody would care about this if it it wasn't Northwestern, you know, if it was another institution that sort of is less sort of known for sort of, you know, having sort of producing high quality, high caliber athletes, student athletes. And I just, you know, it's one of those stories that makes me wonder if there just isn't something fundamentally wrong with the entire system.
3: And even if it doesn't lead to... Criminal charges. Uh, there's, I think, there's perhaps a likelihood that there will be some uh, civil or civic, uh, oh yeah, uh, uh, kind of uh, re- representation here because uh, the, the players, whether they were talking about uh, some of the the racial language and uh, tone uh, or the uh, the hazing that the impact of that left them traumatized. Uh, the, the Latino player that I talked about uh, 10 years later says he is still in therapy. Some of the acts as described in the Daily Northwestern around the, around the hazing, mm-hmm. uh, just mind-blowing uh, and the kinds of things that literally will stick with people for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. So th- you know, in terms of the damage that's caused, uh, uh, there may be people who are held to account beyond criminal charges if it doesn't go that far.
0: State Representative Cam Buckner is working on legislation that would protect college athletes from hazing. Kind of a college athlete bill of rights, if you will. Let's hear a bit of what he had to say about
2: that. These are very disturbing allegations. Um, There are still, I think, more questions than answers for folks. But um, even before these allegations came to fore, there has been some work on trying to create a student athlete's bill of rights here in in Illinois. Um, States like California have done this a long time ago. Actually, California did it probably a decade ago.
0: Any details yet, Mick, on, on what that might actually look like?
2: I've only read descriptions, but uh, Representative Buckner mentioned that it's based on a California law. And look, I was looking that over. A lot of it is, um, is about gender equity in California. A lot of it is about uh, things like making sure that athletes uh, have opportunities to continue school and graduate if they get injured, if somehow their athletic careers end up interfering with their academic careers. I mean, this whole conversation is going on amid uh, really tumult in college sports, big time college sports. Um, the, the limits of the fact that athletes for so long have had so few rights, you know, they sign on the dotted line. Yes, they get scholarships, they get housing and room and board and stuff like that. Uh, but again, they're making tens of millions of dollars for universities mm-hmm. and in most cases, up until recently haven't had a chance to get paid for their labor at all. So my understanding is that this, this bill would handle things that go well beyond hazing and get to some of these other questions.
0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and it's Friday, so we are breaking down the biggest local stories of the week with a panel of wonderful Chicago journalists. WTTW Chicago politics reporter Heather Sharon is here. Block Club Chicago's McDunkie is here, and WBEZ Data Projects editor Alden Lowry. Don't forget, you can watch us break down the news right now on the Weekly News Recap. We're on WBEZ's Facebook and YouTube pages, and you can also live stream on Reset's. Facebook page. Uh, I want to jump to some of the comments online. Michael Marsh says, uh, has anyone verified the allegations that were reported by the Daily Northwestern? Also, is an issue over dreadlocks necessarily racist? Yeah, Michael. Alden?
3: Uh, yeah, I, I mean, the, uh, the player that was quoted, I mean, dreadlocks is a style that is not only uh worn by by black uh by black people but uh, but it's largely a, a black hairstyle but also the, also the context in which it right which it happened right and and the, the other white players with longer hair were not uh, asked to uh, to correct cut their hair as well correct um I, there was another comment uh, that you mentioned I, I didn't know if you
0: anyone has anyone verified the allegations made by the the, the student uh, reporting
3: well i thought part of the investigation uh, Part of the details of the report from the investigation was that uh, there was enough to kind of corroborate some of the um, uh, that this is something that indeed happened. Um, we haven't heard a lot of the, the details yet in terms from from the investigation, but um, uh, but I, but I, I think it's 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 safe to say that uh, some very troubling things happened with regard to the hazing yeah. with Northwestern football.
2: Yeah, I, I would say the university president, I think in one of his statements, said that there were at least eleven players who'd come forward and corroborated the uh, fundamental facts of the the hazing allegations. So has this been proven in a court of law? No, but there's a lot of uh, a a whole lot of smoke here.
0: Sticking with this hazing story, let's hear what the governor had to say.
3: Well, I'm glad that the Northwestern president came out with a statement over the weekend um, and calling for accountability, which is vitally important. This is not something that should be taken lightly. I know that the Northwestern leadership has not taken it lightly, and as more information has gotten to them, they've done, as you know, an independent review. Um, and I, in the end, I mean, we've got to hold people accountable who are in leadership and setting a tone for leadership.
0: How has Fitzgerald uh, reacted to all of this?
2: He's reacted by hiring a very prominent high-priced <laughs> attorney, attorney. as uh, many Ameri- it's, it's sort of the classic American reaction to a scandal, right? Um, Dan Webb, well-known, uh, former U.S. attorney, has been an independent, um, you know, appointed prosecutor for a number of, of uh issues around here, including looking into the uh, Jesse Smollett scandal. Yes, I don't think that's an overstatement to use that word. Uh, Yeah, that was a scandal. That was a scandal, definitely a scandal. So he's a very well-known person. He is someone who's very well-respected as a formidable attorney, and it appears from some of the public comments he's made that he is – Uh, Among other things, you know, helping Fitz explore breach of contract kinds of questions. Mm.
0: So uh, not to pile on the university during a difficult time, (laughs) but yeah, uh, Northwestern's also had uh, scandals in recent years involving sororities and fraternities. Hazings and, and women saying that they were drugged and assaulted at parties. Is this elite university facing a moment of reckoning, Heather, or is this just going to be old news in a week or two well, weeks?
1: Well, as an alumna, I, I I want it to be a, a moment of reckoning. And um, these aren't issues that I cover, you know, for WTTW, but it's, you know— I I want to be able to sort of say, yes, I went to Northwestern and feel nothing but pride. But if you have these kind of allegations, I think that makes it very difficult, especially at a time when they're asking for, you know, the people of Evanston to back their proposal to really expand the football imprint in Evanston, and I think that raises a whole host of questions about sort of trust and, you know, relations between the city and, and the college, which have always been fraught, um, and uh, you know, I think it just, it raises very fundamental questions. You know, why do we pay tens of thousands of dollars a year to go to an institution like Northwestern, mm-hmm. and can, you know, I'm a parent, can, would I be certain that my child would be safe in that environment, and you know, what What do they owe those students who are young adults to protect them? Imagine These are the par- all questions. Imagine the
0: parents of, of, of students getting ready to enter this fall. It, it's, it's Athletes even.
1: It's really tough. And especially at a moment where we've just seen affirmative action in college admissions overturned, you know, by the U.S. Supreme Court. You know, it's one of those moments where you have to say, like, you know, what are we doing here? Why are, why are we doing this? And who does it benefit? And who does it serve? And who does it cost? And at what is that cost? And is it worth the benefit?
0: I mean, what impact, if any, Mick, could this scandal have on the university's goal of building that $800 million stadium?
2: Well, it doesn't help. <laughs> uh, you know, supposedly the seating of the new stadium would actually be less than the current stadium. Um, anyone who's gone there in a Say an early early season September afternoon, um, the stadium is often not anywhere close to full. Currently, uh, so they their plan was to have actually a smaller, cozier stadium, but they wanted to have events beyond just just the you know six seven football games a year that mm-hmm. they usually have when they have concerts and whatnot. And as Heather mentioned, it's been very controversial. There's this historic tension between. Um, Evanston taxpayers who feel like the university as a nonprofit doesn't really foot its share of the bill for public services, public safety, that kind of thing, and so this proposal has been really controversial from the beginning. Uh, I'd be shocked if it if there wasn't some sort of uh, moratorium put on the idea. I, it would it would certainly be yet another tone-deaf thing that the university would be doing if they continue to push this right now.
0: So the final three candidates, as we just heard, for police superintendent, they were unveiled last night. Who are they,
1: Heather? So we have two veterans of the Chicago Police Department, Angel Novales and Larry Snelling, and one outsider, Sean Barnes, who is the police chief in Madison, Wisconsin. So they are the finalists of 54 people who applied to lead the Chicago Police Department, the Community Commission for Public Safety, which is the which was newly created. This was the first top cop search that that panel had conducted, narrowed it down to 13 and then six and then these final three. So now the clock is ticking on Mayor Brandon Johnson. He has 30 days per city law to either pick one of these three finalists Mm -hmm. or ask the commission to start the search all over again. So he can either accept one or reject all three. And this is really going to be one of the most important decisions that he will make as mayor uh, for the foreseeable future, um, whoever leads the Chicago Police Department will be the fourth leader in just about six months, which mm-hmm. means that the yeah. department has undergone significant turmoil. And he has to hope. I mean, I don't usually speak for the mayor, but I, I will uh, put myself in his his brain space and say I'm sure he hopes that his pick will not turn out to be a political albatross, the way the last three police superintendents turned out to be. Yeah for his two predecessors. Well,
0: Mick and Alden, I'm curious your thoughts. I mean, what immediately struck me was uh, the one outsider of, of the three, right? The one that's not been uh, CPD rank and file. Any thoughts there?
2: Well, I think it would have looked funny if they didn't have at least one person from outside Chicago. Uh, I mean, Mayor Johnson has made it clear that he really was hoping to find someone from within uh, the ranks of CPD. Um because the last superintendent of course David Brown uh came from Dallas right yes. and uh his tenure was was widely panned i think it's safe to say and so i think you know mayor johnson has said he wants someone who really knows the city at the same time you know as heather mentioned uh more than 50 candidates for this job fit more than 50 applicants and i think the uh the the panel that vetted these applications uh, really wants to show people that it did a thorough job and that it has several clear choices for for the mayor to be able to make, one of whom is is from outside the city
3: uh, I was struck by uh, to me this the the fingerprints of the uh, commission are all over this. These are three uh candidates that I think you would see from a community-led um, uh, group of people who are thinking about reform. Um, uh, one of the candidates rewrote the, the city's uh, use of force policy. Uh, another mm-hmm. one um, actually um, is part of the, uh, the uh, policing, uh, constitutional policing reform uh, uh, program uh, within the department, and then the outsider actually worked for COPA, Um, so, uh, so has Chicago roots, uh, and comes out of that kind of accountability space. So, uh, the mayor now in in receiving these three finalists, and I think this, as, as Heather was mentioning, will he, choose one of these candidates, or will he throw out the three? And I think it would be a huge statement if he did not choose one of these candidates, mm-hmm. uh, which would fly in the face of what the commission and the creation of the commission was really meant to do, was to kind of really give the public a voice uh, in this process. Uh, and even though the, the mayor gets to make the final call, they've uh, prepared these candidates.
0: For yeah, him. and as you mentioned, the, the mayor does not, Heather, have to choose from these three.
1: How long does he have, though, to he decide? He has 30 days.
0: 30 days. So
3: mm-hmm. that
1: brings us to... August 13th. And, um, you know, that means that potentially the new superintendent would likely take over if he does pick one of these three after Labor Day. And I think that is very much by design because the summer months in Chicago are typically among the most violent. That has unfortunately been true this year as it has been in the past. And I think that it would be difficult for the department to sort of welcome a new leader, even if it's one of the two internal candidates. Candidates Mm -hmm. at a time when sort of, you know, there's so much emphasis on crime fighting at the same time. There is, as we'll expect talk about in a few minute, a burgeoning scandal. And I think that one of the, the issues that Johnson is going to have to sort of weigh is whether he believes a 30-year veteran of the force and a 20-year veteran of the force could really be the change agent that the department needs. So the you know it's the department is under a federal court order to reform itself. It has complied with just about 5% of those requirements more than four years after that order went into into effect. So it is far beyond schedule there. And then the question is, well, if an outsider is better, OK. But then the last outsider that was brought in, David Brown, was faced with implacable sort of opposition from the rank and file. So um, there, this, this may be the definition of truly um, being between a rock and a hard place. Sticking with police, the
0: union's threatening to go to court over parental leave. What's that about?
1: So before Mayor Lori Lightfoot left office, she sort of unilaterally offered most of the city's unionized employees 12 weeks of parental leave, which is significantly more than most public sector employees get, and honestly, most private sector employees get. Um, However, not included that was the Fraternal Order of Police, which represents most of the rank-and-file officers and the Chicago Teachers Union. Um, When Brandon Johnson took office as a former member of the CTU, he made it clear that it was among his highest priorities to extend that parental leave to the Teachers Union, which is vastly majority women. And of course, that would be, you know, very, very crucial importance. However, he did not do the same for the fraternal order of police. And a lot of times Chicago politics, the police union and the teachers union are seen as these two diametrically opposed forces. And the president of the police union, John Catanzara, is furious that um, the police union did not get what the mayor offered to the teachers union. It's complicated, though, because if you've ever tried to read the police union contract, I do not recommend it um because it's complicated because the officers get uh as much as a full year of leave every two years yeah. and they want they are able to use that leave as parental leave the question is whether they should have 12 dedicated weeks that they could only use for parental leave you know is a very difficult question and it's not clear whether that's something that could be or should be resolved outside of a a, a bargaining process
0: yeah well we're going to turn to the wild weather now because uh, that continued to wreak havoc this week I don't know if you notice uh, rain tornadoes everything was making the headlines did you hear the sirens mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah uh, they went off across Chicago did you see any did you have any were you part of the wreckage at all
2: I wasn't, fortunately, but as I was telling uh, Heather and Alden before we started taping, I was on the subway when the emergency signal came on my phone and wondering how this was (laughs) going to turn out. On the one hand, uh, uh, hand,
1: I was underground,
2: so there was that, Uh, but I was sort of like, what happens now? But but in all seriousness, it did occur to me, are we really, we're not set up for these kind of weather swings that we're having in so many ways, ranging from the flooding, our infrastructure isn't set up to go from drought conditions to, you know, these heavy rains that we've been having. Um, So should the CTA have a policy in place for a tornado suddenly appearing? It doesn't seem like a good idea if one is you know, spinning toward the middle of the city to be running the train lines as if nothing's going on. Fortunately, it wasn't an issue. It, it went somewhere else. And, and and even more importantly, no one was hurt, it sounds like, as a result of the tornado okay. that we know about. Uh, but it, it's one of those things with ever, all the weird weather that's going on around the world right now, and we're experiencing it here in Chicago. Um, hey, everybody, climate change is a thing. Okay. Yeah.
0: Well, was, How, where were you?
2: Uh, I was sitting in my living room oh. uh, when I heard the siren, and I was I looked, same. I was I, like, "What's happening?" Like, it's
3: not ten o'clock on Tuesday. What's going on here? You know, <laughs> I looked out the window. I didn't see anything, and I thought, "Okay." Um, but I went online to try to find out as much info as I can. Yeah. I, I You know, I think Mick's point is 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 well made. I think we have to maybe start thinking a little differently. I mean, growing up in Chicago, you know, it was always thought like, you know, tornadoes just don't happen. I was told
1: that, too. And I would I. Yes. yeah,
0: And it's like, you know,
3: well, maybe maybe we have to start thinking differently about that.
0: They do happen. They do. Uh, Here's another story on our radar. Last week's recap, uh, it covered allegations that several police officers had uh, sex with migrants. Now, since then. Community activists and asylum seekers, they've been calling for better living conditions. Activists from the Little Village Community Council protested outside the civilian office of police accountability on Wednesday. Here's a little bit of what Chela Garcia
1: had to say. The demands are, one, if you are saying transparency, show us that transparency. Two, there should be a civilian-only board, meaning any civilian on that board cannot have any type of relationship with the Chicago police ever. Third, there is asylum seekers currently in their office that are obviously not safe. What are they going to do to ensure the safetyness of these people?
0: So briefly give us the latest on this, Heather, and and tell us what the police union is saying about the allegations.
1: So there is an ongoing probe into whether some number of officers assigned to the 10th District, which which includes Lawndale and Little Village, had what the department is calling inappropriate sexual contact with the recent arrivals from the southern border. And the mayor's office has confirmed that one of the people who sort of made this allegation is a girl. And there is, um, so that raises a whole host of questions because obviously that could not be consensual. And of course, it's never consensual for a police officer who's on duty or um, in a police station to have consensual sex. That's just not a thing. Mm -hmm. So it is now being investigated by COPA, the agency charged with police misconduct. The question is, how long is that probe going to take? And it's not clear how long that probe is going to take. None of the officers who have uh, been accused of this conduct as far as we know have been stripped of their police powers I have not gotten a response from either um, the police department or copa about whether that recommendation has been made to interim superintendent Fred Waller and to be honest this broke um, this news broke uh, just about a week ago and in that week mayor Brandon Johnson has not taken questions at any point on any topic on any day from members of the news media and I think that um, certainly he had other things on his agenda this week. But I think that has left somewhat of an information gap. And when you have this sort of story that um, is extremely upsetting for many people on many different levels, that has allowed sort of, um, I don't want to say misinformation or disinformation, but there are a lot of questions. And right now there is no information and no good answers about any of it. In
0: a video posted to social media last Friday, uh, John Cadenzara, who's the union president, He called the allegations against the 10th District officers nonsense and said it was a sensationalized story. Is this a sensationalized story, Alden?
3: Um, I mean, it's a it's a very troubling story. I I think um, I I can certainly understand the union leader, you know, wanting to to, you know, kind of uh, defend or at least speak to the people that uh, that he represents. Um, but uh, but this kind of allegation has to stop you in your tracks and make you say, okay, let's figure out what's going on before we denounce anything here. Um, this is a troubling thing on a number of fronts. I mean, migrants staying in police stations is a response to another crisis, which is trying to find housing, housing. Yeah. for the migrants and, and the city uh, taking this option because there were there were no other really good alternatives out there, at least ones that could be fashioned very quickly. Um, but perhaps the decision to do that was maybe not as well thought out as it should have been in re- in regards to, you've got people literally living there. They're there 24 seven. And so, you know, what are the accommodations and quite frankly, what, what, what's, what's their safety? Um, there are people that come, the public comes in and out of those spaces Uh, You've got officers coming in and out of those spaces as well. Maybe it's a presumption that in a police station, the people are going to be safe, but, uh, but, you know, these are vulnerable people. And um, the other thing that you have to consider is they're in a space. I mean, you could take people in the communities and say, we're going to let you stay in the police station. And they would say, I don't want to do that. I wouldn't feel safe in the police station. Now you have people who are new, not only to Chicago, but are new to this country and who knows what kind of relationship, uh, dynamics that they have from where they're from yeah. with regard to law enforcement so this is this is something that m- should have been thought out i think a lot uh, a lot deeper than than perhaps it was
1: so. well and if I could jump in the mayor's initial reaction was to move the migrants out of the 10th district police station where these allegations allegedly took place that's uh really complicated way of saying that we don't know whether there's any truth to these but it was it seems an implicit acknowledgement that these people were not safe in the police station and had the mayor had a press availability this week I would have asked him what message that sends to the people of Chicago that the most vulnerable among us were sent to a police station for safekeeping and he took action that at least implicitly makes it seem like they were in fact not safe there and what does that mean honestly for the rest of Chicago
2: it's also an acknowledgement that he had to do something um, but moving one group of migrants and asylum seekers out of one police station is not the answer Mm -hmm. and um, we keep saying that over and over again advocates we heard from on the clip said that uh, and, and it's not just – they're not just within the police stations. It was over near the 12th District Station near West Side, um the other day, and there were people camping out next to the station on the open space. They're cooking out. Mm. And, uh, you know, on, on the one hand, you can see this is sort of like uh, – People are getting comfortable. The, there's sort of like a, com, a sort of a community, community. That's, that, that's forming there. On the other hand, um, it's basically a homeless encampment right on outside the police station. It, the whole situation is a mess. And I'm, I'm with Heather that um, I know Mayor Johnson has a lot on his plate. His team is certainly aware of this. They've talked about plans they're trying to make as quickly And and thoughtfully as possible to respond to this particular crisis, but um, an F on transparency and openness uh, for, for the last several weeks on this. And I and would just issue. say
1: that this has, this, we are entering the third month of this crisis, a humanitarian crisis, as city officials have called it, where the city's shelters are beyond capacity. There are nearly 5,000 people in city shelters right now. The city's shelters have a capacity of 3,000. And as of last week, there were, you know, nearly 900 people living at police stations and at O'Hare Airport. And, you know, I, I cannot wrap my brain about living in a city that is so ill-equipped to care for such vulnerable people. And, you know, I, I think that the fact that um, it has been allowed to continue raises real questions about the city's ability to sort of to respond yeah. to the needs, again, of the most vulnerable people here.
0: So we're going to cover uh, as uh, we quickly as we can some political stories here. We first... Uh, We've got our first ever black transgender woman who was appointed to hold public office in Cook County. Alden, tell us about Precious Brady Davis.
3: Uh, Brady Davis uh, was a candidate for uh, the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District uh, last year. Uh, Unsuccessful bid. And uh, Governor Pritzker has appointed her to fill a vacancy on the uh, district board that was left by the departure of Kim Dubucle, who was appointed to fill a vacancy. Uh, in the Illinois Journal Assembly, uh, Brady Davis, uh, uh, really uh, strong chops in terms of uh, an environmental activist, uh, worked at Sierra Clubs, has uh, been speaking out about uh, the environment, but also very prominent with regard to LGBTQ plus uh, rights and uh, first black trans woman to hold public office in Cook County. And is uh, the another in a string of first along these lines. We mm-hmm. have multiple members of the Chicago City Council who are part of the LGBTQ plus community. Of course, uh, Mayor Lightfoot uh, a few years back, um, and uh, Brady Davis has been a very vocal activist uh, for that community. Um, I wrote a, a autobiography a couple of years ago. I have always been me. And uh, the trans community, in particular, I think, is one that is really starting to kind of develop its voice. Uh, we've heard a lot from the community with regard to uh, how they've been victims and sometimes forgotten uh, yeah. victims uh, of of crime, and uh, and now uh, having a space, a very public public space. This is a moment. Yeah, well, this indeed, is a
0: moment. Yeah, and we've this morning we we got news now about a local legend in politics. Alden, give us the latest on Reverend Jesse Jackson.
3: Reverend Jesse Jackson Senior is uh, stepping down. It's been announced. Yeah, actually, there the was announcement at uh, Pushes Rainbow Pushes um, their Saturday convenings. They do it every Saturday, uh, and it's broadcast. And an announcement was made uh, last Saturday, uh, and then there was news broke about it. Uh, uh, Chinta, Chinta Strasberg, longtime defender uh, reporter, writes for the Chicago Crusader and yeah. actually worked for Jesse Jackson for years as a press secretary. Uh, broke this story uh, just yesterday. Um, so uh, there is going to be a replacement announced in a few weeks. And from what we hear, it's someone who is not from Chicago. Okay. Um, but uh, uh, Reverend Jackson's son, Congressman Jonathan Jackson, uh, has said that this decision was made because of health reasons. Um, and 81 years old, uh, suffering from Parkinson's. Uh, he's still out and about, though, quite a bit.
0: That's right. Um,
3: yeah. uh, he's on social media. He's, uh, you know, he's making appearances. He's so so he's out there. But uh, but in terms of running a, an organization day to day, I guess the decision was that someone I, else... So
0: active, I thought he'd never step down, yeah, <laughs> to right. be honest. Uh, Heather, yesterday in City Council, the Ethics Committee made headlines. What happened?
1: Well, they advanced a proposal from Alderman Matt Martin to limit Chicago's Inspector General to serve no more than two four-year terms. So it's set for a final vote on Wednesday, and it would put some deadlines in place when there's a vacancy in that very important office, which has oversight over the city council, its committees and other city officials. Uh, Essentially, what happened was, is when former Inspector General Joseph Ferguson uh, was sort of, you know, he, he Mayor Lightfoot declined to appoint him to another term, which left that office vacant essentially for six months at a time when we all know that Chicago has no small problem with corruption and malfeasance. It keeps me in business, which, you know, I guess I appreciate. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, but it was very upsetting to those sort of dedicated to try to improve Chicago's governance that that sort of there is no mechanism in the law to sort of force the mayor to act. And this proposal would do that in addition to sort of saying you get eight years and then you're out. Mm -hmm. Um, Ferguson served 12 years. He was first appointed by former mayor Richard M. Daley and then reappointed twice by former mayor Emanuel and was really a a thorn in the side of Mayor Lori Lightfoot and then um, is now sort of said to be considering a run for Cook County State's attorney.
0: We've got a couple development stories that I want to get to as well, Mick. Um, Give us the latest on Lincoln Yard's.
2: Well, the latest on Lincoln Yards is big development uh, just northwest of downtown along the river, uh, which was uh, right when former Mayor Lightfoot came in, was a big deal. Remember uh, Rahm Emanuel essentially pushed through approval for this project and for uh, tax increment financing, uh, funding for it going forward. Well, it stalled out. And last month, uh, Danny Ecker at... um, Cranes had a really great story uh, about how they were looking for financing to keep this thing going, and things were apparently so difficult for them that they put it out there that they were seeking help from the Chicago Teachers Union Pension Fund, which politically I think is really a message saying, uh, hey, we're in a lot of trouble. We need money to keep this thing going. So this week, my colleague Quinn Myers reported on that, updating uh, the fact that It's still kind of stalled. A lot of people are on hold waiting to see what happens. But there is one component of it that is going forward, which is the extension of the Bloomingdale Trail. Mm. That's still supposed to be moving eastward. So it would go, uh, you know, very popular. The 606 is it's called biking, running, walking path. And uh, the plans are to move it east of going under the Kennedy Expressway. So move it east all the way to the Chicago River. So apparently at least that part of it, the city is planning to move forward with.
0: Alden, Chicago's historic preservation efforts just got a million dollar boost. What's the good news at Landmarks Illinois?
3: Oh, the good news there is that uh, this is money that is dedicated to help preserve uh, buildings on the south and west sides. Um, you know, neighborhoods that uh, that typically uh, don't see a, a great deal of development in comparison to other parts of the city. Um, and a number of places there that uh, that can use the boost. Uh, landmark Illinois had given money to the Greater Chatham Initiative to uh, kind of renovate one space uh, on East 79th Street, and it turned it into essentially kind of a work and uh, art gallery space. And mm. so they're hoping to do more things like that with, uh, with historic buildings in other parts of the southwest side.
0: And anyone who wants to visit a Landmark building on the south side, they might want to head over to Kenwood for a blues concert. On the front porch of the Muddy Waters Mojo Museum tomorrow afternoon. Big smile from Heather Sharon here. Uh, Yeah, the blues legend lived there for almost two decades, so that should be pretty cool. Uh, Y'all have a favorite summer
1: festival because that's also
0: the time that we're in right now. I'm, I'm so curious.
2: Uh, none of them
1: <laughs> <laughs> Mick does not like fun we <laughs> were
2: talking yeah, about pitchfork I like earlier fun. I don't wow. like I don't like heat overpriced water and it's festival uh, season of people... Mick well yeah. you
1: know it's weird because there was there hasn't yet been Taste of Chicago and for as long as I've been alive True. that is how you have celebrated midsummer right um, and I think you know it's it's now Labor Day weekend at Grant Park after Lollapalooza and, and the NASCAR race. And I think the real question I have about whether the NASCAR race comes back next year is what that means for the future of the taste of Chicago. I mean, is it a weather it comes back? Wasn't this a three-year thing? It is a weather. A, oh, yeah, oh. it is. They can both walk, either oh. <laughs> the city or NASCAR can walk they away. They can say, this didn't quite work out the way the we planned. No thanks,
0: but no thanks. Bye. Interesting. All right, we'll have to leave it there. WTTW Channel 11's Heather Sharone, WBEZ's Alden Lowry and Block Chicago's Mick Dumkey. Thank you all so much for joining us. Thank you. This episode of Reset was produced by Andrea Guthman and it was edited by Andrew Merriweather and Meha Ahmed. Become part of the Reset community by subscribing to our newsletter. You can join thousands of fellow listeners who have already subscribed and are sharing their thoughts on the news and leaving great suggestions like where to get the best pizza by the slice in the city. Just go to wbez.org/resetnews to sign up. That's all for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Have a great weekend.